Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi. Thank you for stopping by. My name is Savannah Brimer, and I am your host here on Killer Instinct. Go ahead and hit that follow button if you are not already. We post weekly episodes here, and I would love to have you join this little family of ours. So for today's case, it is one that I heard about in the news very recently. And when I say very recently, I mean literally within the past couple days. DNA technology is something that's been progressing so much over the years. And with the new technology that we have, we're able to, you know, give justice and some sort of closure to the families that are affected by these awful, awful, awful crimes and the loss of their loved ones. And so with DNA technology and the way that it's progressed over the past like decades and just, you know, years in general, even the past couple years, it's crazy how much more we're able to tell with the technology that we have today. And today's case is a perfect example of that. So today we are talking about the murder of Angie Hausman. And when going through this case, you know, it's so horrific what this little girl had to endure and what she had to go through. It's absolutely like, oh my God, when you're going to understand when I start talking about it, it's awful. Um, but, you know, when I heard it on the news, it definitely caught my attention because anytime that there is some sort of closure to a case in a sense, like some sort of justice, some sort of closure, um, it's always, it always catches your attention. So Angie Hausman is the girl that we are going to be talking about today. And she was born on February 18th in 1984. Her parents were Angelo DeAndre and Diane Hausman Bone. Angie was known as the sweetest, kindest, bubbly, friendly little girl. Everyone that came across her said she always had a smile on her face and she was so incredibly friendly she would go up to anyone and just be like hi i'm angie can we be friends or hi i'm angie do you want to be friends and i mean that kind of trust and her willingness to trust was such a great thing for people to watch but unfortunately in angie's case her willingness to trust people wronged her in the end Angie was in fourth grade when she disappeared and was living in St. Anne, which is a suburb not too far outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Like I said, she was in fourth grade and she attended an elementary school called Butter Elementary School, I think is what it was called, or Booter Elementary School, one of the two. But she lived in St. Anne with her mother, Diane, and her stepfather, Ron. I couldn't find much about her biological father, but I do know that she lived with her stepfather as well as her mother. Angie typically took the bus to and from school. So she would walk to the bus stop. It was about five minutes away from where her house was. She would get on the bus and then the same thing. She would come home from the bus, walk five minutes to her house. And typically when she would do these walks, you know, when you get off the school bus, you walk home with your friends. She would never really walk alone most times. And when she did walk home, there were always neighbors waiting outside for their kids. Like I said, she lived in a little neighborhood. So there were always, you know, other kids getting off the bus with her. So their parents would wait outside and wait for the kids to come home as well. It was said that the two parents in particular who most always wait outside for their kids, um, one of them had a sick relative. I think her dad was sick, so that stopped her from being outside that day and waiting for her kid to come home. And then the other one, I can't really remember what she was doing, but she wasn't outside either. And a lot of people think if those two or at least one of them were outside, then this would not have happened. But on November 18th, 1993, nothing went as planned. 
So Angie's family waited at home for her just like any normal day, and they were waiting for Angie to walk through the door after walking home from the bus stop, but on November 18th, that didn't happen. They waited about 30 minutes and started to get worried because Angie never came home at that point, and even though Angie was a very social kid, and it wasn't super out of character for her to want to play with her friends after getting off the school bus, but it was out of character for her to not come home, especially after 30 minutes. She knew that her parents would be worried, which they were. So after 30 minutes of Angie not being home when she was supposed to, Angie's mom called the police immediately and the search really started from there. And this kind of reminded me of, and let me know if you guys think the same thing, this kind of reminded me of the Elizabeth Shove case that we covered about two weeks ago, how she got off the school bus, she was walking back with her friends, and she disappeared. And if you've listened to my podcast, we know what happened, but... This kind of the same thing happened here. Angie got off the school bus with her friends, started walking home. It was only a five minute walk and she disappeared like literally into thin air. And so the question was, where did she go after she got off the school bus and was walking with her friends? How far did she go? Because people saw her getting off the school bus. This wasn't a question of, did she get taken at school before getting on the school bus? Like she had gotten on the school bus. She had gotten off the school bus. Her friends had seen her. And like I said, she was fairly trusting towards others. So being taken advantage of by a stranger wasn't out of the question because at this point, nothing was out of the question. So the police were working vigorously to try and find Angie, but days were passing and they weren't reaching any real leads. All of the leads that they would try to go after just were leading to dead ends. Nothing was coming from them. Then, unfortunately, nine days later at 11.15 in the morning on November 27th, two deer hunters hunting in St. Charles County, which is about, it's like a remote area in St. Louis that's about 30 minutes away from Angie's house. These two deer hunters found Angie's body. And the way that they found her, you guys, is so horrific. And when I read this, I was, I could not, I couldn't believe it. And she was, like I said, found in such horrific circumstances. She was tied to a tree wearing no clothes. And because of the time of year and how cold it was outside, she had ice chips that were forming on her face and in her hair. She was handcuffed and she had been duct taped or she had duct tape wrapped all around her face except for her nose. And there was a pair of underwear taped under her mouth or like on top of her mouth. So the underwear was covering her mouth and then the tape was holding it down. And there was an autopsy conducted for Angie and it was found that she was repeatedly raped, tortured and starved by whoever did this to her for nine days. It was clear by the people who found her that she had tried to escape, like tried to escape the hold that she was in on this tree. She had marks all over her body. She had two very big cuts on her arm. And it was found that she had passed away within hours of being found. And she was left to freeze to death, essentially. And her cause of death was hypothermia. This, you guys... (sighs) It it makes me so mad. It makes me so angry. Not just mad, like anger. Is is there's no words for this? It's just the fact. Like I can't even imagine. Like this little girl was taped, had duct tape all over her face, couldn't see anything, was tied to a tree, freezing in the freezing weather, trying to escape these ropes that were holding her back and the handcuffs, and it's just the worst circumstance I could ever think of. And. Anyways, let's keep going. 
So police were so determined to figure out what happened to Angie and caused all of her pain and suffering because here's at least this is what I think. I feel like in cases that involve kids, at least the ones that I've looked at and the ones that we've covered on here, when it comes to kids, it hits a different chord. And I don't mean that to kind of deflect on the cases that don't happen to children and happen to adults and teenagers. That's not what I mean, because those are just as equally horrific. But I feel like when it comes to kids, it strikes a different chord with a lot of people because people know how innocent kids are and how defenseless kids are and how vulnerable they are. You know, they're so physically weak and they can't you know, defend themselves. They're not strong enough to fight back against some grown person. And that's what's really frustrating and sad in these cases is you know that they obviously wanted to get out and tried to get out, but they just didn't have the strength to do it. And I feel like, like I said, with kids' cases, it just strikes a different chord with a lot of people. And that was no exception in this case. The police were so determined to figure out what was going on and what was happening. And everyone was scared in the community. It really shook everyone. The school started doing a buddy system so no one could walk alone. You know, I remember I had that in my school. They had this buddy system implemented where, you know, even if we were to walk from one building to another or anything like that, we always had to be in pairs. We could never walk alone. Um, And so that was the case that was implemented after Angie's abduction and murder. So in the beginning of the investigation, a lot of people suspected that it would have been a teenager who committed this. And the main reason people thought that is because there was a dead end road not too far away from where Angie's body was found. And this road got the name Lover's Lane. I'm sure you could figure out why. But a lot of teenagers in the 90s, like I said, would hang out at this spot. It was like kind of the spot to get away and not really be seen by a lot of people. But when police looked into this, it led nowhere. There were no leads that could come out of it. No real evidence that shows that whoever did this to Angie would hang out there or anything like that. So it kind of just came to a close. And, you know, there were tips that were coming in, but nothing was really sticking. Nothing was really striking a chord. I will tell you about the leads or the little, you know, tips that were there, though. So two days prior to Angie's abduction, there was a man who was reported to the police. So someone called this in and said that there was a man who was wandering the area um, of the neighborhood that Angie lived in and also the bus stop area. And it definitely, I mean, it had to have made someone concerned enough to call the police and they sketched this man out to be a bearded man in a long coat but nothing ever came from this lead no one really knew anything about it so it just kind of went cold but here's something that I found kind of interesting when or not interesting but maybe a little bit telling when doing my research so before angie was abducted she had actually told her teacher that she was going to go on a trip to the countryside with her uncle and angie's teacher said that she didn't really ask any questions about it or try to get to the bottom of it or dig any deeper because she didn't think there was anything suspicious about what angie said but according to angie's family no one related to angie had any plans to take her anywhere and no one was aware about this trip that she had told her teacher about and this quote-unquote uncle that she talked about to the teachers has never been identified which I find very 
I don't know. When I was doing the research, I was like, okay, does that mean that whoever took Angie had contact with her beforehand and made up this whole thing of they were going to go off to the countryside together on this trip? Why she would say it's her uncle is a little bizarre. But, you know, like I said, we talked about in the beginning, Angie was a very trusting person. She always saw the good in everyone. She didn't know of any, she didn't know people could be evil like this. So, I mean, maybe she did have contact with the person who took her and they kind of made up the story and she believed it and that's what happened i don't know i just find it weird especially because the family didn't know anything about it and this uncle quote-unquote uncle has never been like identified or talked about i don't know if she has an uncle i wasn't able to figure that out and correct me if i'm wrong but i just think that that whole story is very 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 odd suspicious the whole thing the fact that no one knows who this uncle is the fact that you know her family was never planning a trip with her it's just it's very weird it just does not sit right with me at all and i'm pretty i mean i can i doubt the police didn't look into that but it's just it's just weird anyways so let's move on so there was no leads like i said there were no leads and the police were really reaching a dead end on this case and the case ultimately ended up going cold and obviously this made people very very angry people in the community people who knew about this case were very angry because everyone wanted justice for angie everyone wanted to get to the bottom of this everyone didn't want to live in fear knowing that the person who was so or not i mean the monster not even the person but the monster monster who was capable of doing such horrendous things to an innocent nine-year-old girl was walking among them. Like no one wanted to live in that fear. So it's 2019 now, and this happened in 1993. And that is 26 years of the, you know, the process of progression in technology and the advancements that have been made in technology when it comes to, you know, our criminal justice system and figuring out DNA and things like that. We've seen more and more so recently how you know, cases that went cold so many years ago and that people weren't able to get to the bottom of have now been able to have some sort of closure, like I said earlier, because we have been able to make these amazing, amazing advancements. So like I said, the case went cold for decades and it wasn't until extremely recently where the police finally got the break that they were looking for. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So in March of 2019, so this year, literally just several months ago, the police had sent the underwear that was found covering Angie's mouth to the lab to see if there was any possibility of getting DNA from it. This piece of evidence was one of the last pieces left from this case that police had to check. So police were holding a lot of hope into this one piece. 
The part that they tested was actually such a small piece of fabric. So this testing wasn't possible during the time that Angie went missing. And fun fact, I guess, up until 2017, clothing dye made it extremely difficult to get an accurate DNA sample, but it's 2019, my friends, and they got a hit. A man by the name of Earl Cox's DNA was found on the underwear that had been wrapped around Angie's mouth when her body had been discovered. Now, Earl is a 61-year-old man who is really no stranger to the police. Earl was in the Air Force, and he is also a convicted child molester. Earl had grown up in the St. Louis area and was living in St. Louis, Missouri during the time that Angie was abducted, and he had relatives, I believe it was his sister, who lived just blocks away from where Angie's house and school was. Earl had been accused of multiple different crimes against children before. Like I said, he was no stranger to the police. In the early 1980s, he was dishonorably discharged from the Air Force and convicted of sexually abusing four young girls he was babysitting while stationed in Germany. On two different occasions, one in 1989 and another in 1991, Earl was questioned by the police in St. Louis about inappropriate conduct with children. And even though these instances never led to an actual conviction, he was on parole at that time and the police had determined that he had violated his parole. So he was sent back to prison for another year. He ended up being released only 11 months before Angie was abducted. He was arrested again in 2003 for exchanging sexual emails with an undercover agent who was pretending to be a 14-year-old. He had asked a quote-unquote her, I mean this, this undercover agent essentially, but he didn't know that, to be his sex slave and was sending her money for a bus ticket so she could go live with him. In 2003, police checked his computer and he had more than 45,000 45,000 images of child pornography. He was sentenced to prison and completed his sentence for those crimes in 2011, but the judge ruled him a quote-unquote sexual danger for obvious reasons, um, and he is still in prison in North Carolina. And police say that, you know, because obviously he had to register as a sex offender, and so when police started their investigation, his name did come up. Like, obviously, he was a sex offender registered, so his name did come up to police, but they never really thought about him as a possibility. I don't really know why. I mean, I guess they must have had some sort of reason, but clearly their reasoning was very wrong. So because of that, he was never questioned when Angie was abducted and when she was murdered. And so this, all of this, you guys, literally came out just a couple of days ago. If you go and Google it, it the timestamps on it will be within the past week, which is absolutely crazy. And it's so incredible. I just can't get over it that we're able to finally, even after all of these years, see some sort of justice for Angie. But I mean, I do want to point this out because even with finding this DNA evidence and getting this huge, huge break, this huge part solved in this, the police are still not too convinced that Earl was the only person involved in this. 
Because think about it. So Angie was hidden for nine days before she was found. Because like I said, the medical examiner said that she was only, you know, deceased for a couple hours before her body was found. So she was alive for those nine days, tortured for those nine days. And police assume that she moved around from different locations during that time period, because obviously she had to travel at least 30 minutes to get to where her body was found. And in that time, she also had to be concealed. And because there was an active investigation going on, there was an active search. This was all very fresh. She was found in a nine day time period. So people were actively looking for her constantly, police, her family, the community. And so police just don't think that Earl was capable of doing this by himself. And so they say that they are looking into new leads because they don't think that this was just a one man show. They are encouraging everyone who lived in the area during the time that Angie went missing to call in if they know or have any information about this case, about Earl, about anything. And I do want to point this out because if you are listening to this right now and you know something, and it doesn't even have to be about this case, if it's about any you know, crime or case in general and you don't know how to say something, you don't know if it's gonna get you in trouble, you are nervous or afraid to speak up and say something, I just wanna let you know that there are anonymous tip lines that you can call into and leave your tips and what you know anonymously. There's no face-to-face communication and your tip is completely anonymous. So police are also hoping that with this new spark in the case that it could potentially spark someone's memory or something that they didn't think was that important or a detail they forgot or anything of that nature because you never know what you think isn't important could actually be the key to solving this case entirely. And so I definitely, definitely encourage you or just anyone you know, like if you know something or if you think you know something, you have a gut feeling about something, act on it. Because in this circumstance, it is so much better to say something and have your assumption or your tip be wrong than to not say anything and your tip could have brought this whole thing together and solved this completely and brought justice to Angie's family. So police obviously plan on charging Earl with abduction, rape, and first-degree murder of Angie Houseman. And unfortunately, what I think is one of the saddest parts of all of this is Angie's mother unfortunately passed away in 2016 from cancer without ever knowing what happened to her daughter. So hopefully they are both at peace now with each other, with this, you know, all coming out. And I just can't even imagine, you know, the what this means for her family, what they're feeling, what they're going through, because you go through, we're literally looking at like, what, 23 or 26 years now? What was it? How many years ago was it? Math is not my strong suit, um, but definitely two, at least two decades ago. So and just imagine going through all that time not knowing who did something so horrific, who had the capability of being so violent and vicious and like horrendous to a nine-year-old girl and having that person just be able to walk free. Um, I mean, he wasn't free, but no one knew that. He wasn't being held responsible for the actions that he committed. And police are still not so sure that he was the only one who committed it. So there very well could be another person out there who is still walking free. Um, And I definitely think that someone knows something. And I know I say that a lot, but I think that someone knows something and doesn't want to say it. And I just think it's super important to remember that, you know, 
like I said, anonymous tip lines are ways to get your information out there without knowing that it came from you. So definitely keep that in mind. Do not be, I like, I mean, I can't say don't be afraid to speak up because I know how intimidating that can be sometimes with some of the circumstances that you can be under, but just remember what the end goal is. Just remember that this little girl did not deserve to die. She did not deserve to die. She did not deserve to be suffered. She did not deserve to be tortured. She did not deserve to be starved or raped or beaten or any of that. So your small tip could help bring justice to her family and help bring peace to her family. Having them know that the people who are responsible for this are locked up behind bars and can never, ever, ever do this to anyone again. I just think it's super important to stress that there are ways to get your information out there if you are nervous about your identity being revealed. It doesn't always have to happen that way. Alrighty, you guys. So that is the end of my episode today. I know it was a little shorter, but I definitely wanted to get this one out just because I feel like with all the fresh and new information that this case has, it's super important to just, you know, talk about it as much as possible, get the word out as much as possible. This is a case that I had never heard of before, and it wasn't until this new lead came to light that I had heard about it and I did my research on it and I was I mean, first of all, disgusted, but also shocked that I had never heard about it before. So I think it's super important to just keep talking about it. You know, let's get the conversation going. Let's hopefully be able to contribute to finding justice for Angie and her family. That is going to be all from me today, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Like I said, my name is Savannah Brimer, and we make weekly episodes here on Killer Instinct. If you want to email me in a case suggestion, you can do so at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. I always read your suggestions, and I have a whole list of cases that I'm going to do next. So email me there if you want to send in a case suggestion, or if you want to tell me your thoughts on the cases that I've covered. You can also also DM me. My Instagram is just Savannah Brimer. So you can DM me on there with your thoughts on today's case. I hope you guys have an incredible rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in with me again and stay safe, you guys.